Hi everyone, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime at Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also do another podcast that covers brand new movies out in theaters or on VOD, recent movies from this year at the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Just search for it wherever you're listening to this right now and you'll probably find it. Just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. Today we're going to be continuing on our three-part look at breakdancing films of the 1980s. Last week we covered a film that actually was a little bit more concerned with graffiti art than breakdancing, although breakdancing did contribute a big part of it. That was Style Wars. Today we're going to get into a fictional film from... 1984, probably the biggest of the so-called hip-hop films of the 1980s in terms of box office. It's called Break-In. It is a film that was directed by Joel Silberg. It stars Lucinda Dickey, Aldolfo Shabadoo Quinones, Michael Boogaloo Shrimp Chambers. It also features supporting roles for Christopher McDonald, Ben Loki, Phineas Newborn III. The screenplay is by Charles Parker, Alan de Beauvoir, and Gerald Scaife. Break-In is pretty much wholly dated by today's standards, but then I guess it's kind of all the more reason to watch. If you're a fan of the 1980s, you have to kind of embrace the kitschy and very dated aspects of the period as well, because that's what makes 80s movies so fun for so many people. Now, the title is called Break-In. That was originally in production as Breakdance. In fact, in foreign markets, including the UK and Australia and other places, it was called Breakdance not breaking as it was in the United States. Some places even called it breakdancing, depending on the market and their familiarity with the actual breakdancing fad, I guess, as it was considered back then, even though breakdancing really has lasted, you know, 40 plus years. This is an earnest attempt at a feel-good breakdancing drama. It ends up being unintentionally funny most of the time, yet at the same time, Breakin' is hard to dislike. Of course, it came out in the mid-1980s at the peak of the showcased dance craze, and it enjoyed a bit more seriousness at the time of its release in terms of being a cultural touchstone of some sort. However, there's no better non-documentary film that is specifically about the so-called fad itself. So even if Breakin' is not the best dance film you've ever seen, I don't think anybody's really expecting a great movie here. Now, Breakin stars former solid gold dancer Lucinda Dickey. She plays Kelly, who's a waitress by day and an aspiring jazz dancer in her spare time. She has the looks and talent to go far, at least according to her dance instructor. But this move seems to come at a price because he wants a little action on the side to help her in her career. She ends up making friends with a couple of local street dancers, aka breakdancers, Ozone and Turbo, and she becomes enamored of the mannerisms and the moves of these street dancers. They agree to teach her some steps in order to gain some street rep, while she has a crazy idea to make breakdancing more mainstream in the form of a staged musical about it. Unfortunately, the conservative art crowd scoffs at the idea, as do the rival street dancing crews who want to prove that they are the best of the bunch and think that this jazz dancing is just a little bit too snooty to even incorporate into their street dancing. In other words, two great tastes that don't really taste great together, or so they say. 
Now the silliness is at an all-time high. When you have Street Tough, Ozone, and Turbo, they show their softer side. Even rivalries with other so-called dance gangs end up becoming very silly pop-and-lock duels that are in place of physical violence. There's a prominent poster for West Side Story displayed every once in a while, and it's obvious that a great deal of that play or film's inspiration drifted in to break in, especially during the choreographed dance rumble numbers. That's not the only influence. There are flash dance type montages that permeate much of the musical numbers, as well as a good deal of the plot points. Now, Breaking Here is directed by a veteran Israeli filmmaker, Joel Silberg. He's a longtime collaborator with Golan and Globus in their films, as this one is. It marks the first film he had actually directed in America. So he was really unfamiliar with a lot of the breakdancing and the culture underneath. Kind of shows in many respects. Silberg isn't really here that much interested in making an accurate portrayal of the breakdancing scene so much as trying to entertain audiences mostly unfamiliar with the style or the culture that had been viewed as a roaring fad back in the early 1980s. Now, while the dancing is certainly amazing in this film, it is clear that the film itself is mostly an attempt to cash in on this craze, more so than it is to try to tell this compelling and accurate story about overcoming the odds to success by being a breakdancer. Now, filming took place mostly in Southern California. There are some exterior scenes in various Los Angeles locations, Venice Beach most notably, where if you see that scene, it's right at the beginning of the film, you will glimpse in the background a young Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's this very enthusiastic extra back there. It's hard to miss him. The Palace in Hollywood, the Shrine Auditorium, very well-known landmarks around the area. The actors here in the film are not very seasoned. Rumors are that Lucinda Dickey, in particular, was not accepted with open arms by Quinones for her jazz dance style and his feeling that, that she was trying to show he and Michael Chambers up with her gymnastic techniques instead of trying to do the dance moves as they were trying to instruct her. Dickey, in response, felt the exact opposite was taking place, that it was her co-stars who were trying to show her up by making her perform moves that were too difficult for her to do well, and they would try to make her look bad, and that would cause her to lean on her already learned strengths to be able to put in those dance moves. So you got this kind of amalgamation of dance moves, at least on her part, that don't quite seem street enough, even when she's trying to be. Now, for the most part, breaking is still worth a watch for the nostalgia value. If you saw this back then, you probably have fond feelings for it. At the very least, it is an unintentionally campy romp for those people who like to watch some of their 80s films with a touch of irony, maybe even a dollop of it. The stars here are mostly cast for their dance abilities, and when they're dancing, it's about the only time they really seem to be fully comfortable in the film. They really are not the best in the acting department, but they do do a decent enough job as amateurs not to be completely unbelievable. They do the best they can, as limited as that may be. Like many films around this time of music videos, much of the movie is spent trying to hawk the killer soundtrack, and this is a really good soundtrack. Probably was even more popular than the movie itself over the years, even though the songs on the soundtrack aren't really what you would consider to be typical breakdancing type beats. There are no real live performances in the film, except for Ice-T in a very early role for him. I think this was his debut as an actor of some sort. He gives you a taste of some of his earliest work. Again, strictly for those who are curious about Ice-T's rap career prior to becoming a gangster rap act, if you want to call him that. Now, Break In as a film would end up becoming a breakout hit for Canon Films. It debuted at number one 
at the box office in its first week of release thanks to that soundtrack and a lot of hype coming into it and that dance craze being red hot at the time. It racked up over $38 million on a reported budget of only $2 million. And I gotta say, for $2 million, it looks fantastic. Canon Films really did a great job in making it seem like a bigger budgeted film. And it placed among, at the very end of the year, when all is said and done, when you count all the beans, among the top 20 highest grossing films in the United States in 1984, if you can believe that. It was bigger box office hit than 16 Candles, which debuted the same weekend. And a lot of people who love 80s movies know 16 Candles through and through. The Terminator, which seems to be a huge tentpole franchise nowadays, it made more money than that film. The Neverending Story, A Nightmare on Elm Street, all made considerably less money than Break It. And those are considered to be big films for the decade. Now, this would prove to be Canon's biggest box office hit in their history. By far, it raked in over 50% more than their next comparable hit, the Chuck Norris war pick called Missing in Action. They knew they had a hit on their hands, and the film would prove so popular that the sequel was immediately put into production before this film even hit theaters. If you watch this movie, you can see that they are already hyping up the sequel, originally titled just Electric Boogaloo. It was announced during the recap music video montage prior to the end credits. It would end up coming out as Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo, its famous title there, and one of the most mocked sequel titles in movie history. It was released a mere seven months later after Breakin's release. A big hit for Canon Films and for breakdancing. So I have a lot of fondness for this film. I really can't say that it's a good film. I really don't think that if you're looking for a good film, you're going to find it here. But it's a fun film for many reasons. It's got great music. It's got great dancing. And if that's all you're looking for, certainly you're going to find it here. I think its liabilities still outweigh its assets, so I can't quite give it that recommendation. But for what it is, it's fine. It's two and a half stars out of four on my scale. Two and a half stars means I think it had the tools, it had the talent to be able to be something special. But given that Canon Films was treating it as if it was a fad without the seriousness or the authenticity that you would expect from a film that was about breakdancing, or you might hope if you were somebody who into the scene, it's an artificial construct, very formula in that respect. So two and a half stars is the best I can give Break-In. And so for a follow-up, hey, why would I not follow Break-In up in my reviews with Break-In 2 Electric Boogaloo? And that will be my very next episode of this show. So check it out if you haven't seen it already. Break-In 2 Electric Boogaloo from 1984 again for next week's episode of Around the World in 80s Movies. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts as to where you want the show to go as far as genres, I'm running out of films that feature breakdancing here. So you can write to me. You can find my contact information at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. And until next time, thanks, everyone, for joining me on this journey around the world in 80s movies. <laughs>